Hometown Ghost Stories contains serious and often distressing events and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's going on, everybody, and welcome into Hometown Ghost Stories Dark Mysteries. Tonight, we're going to talk about William and Horatio Eddy. These two brothers absolutely rocked the world with their supernatural abilities. It started with levitations and turned into full-blown spirit manifestations during seances that turned the small town of Chittenden, Vermont into what was called the spirit capital of the universe. I'm Jesse Wilkins, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, Dark Mysteries, The Eddie Brothers. The Eddie brothers came from a long line of psychics. Their mother and grandmother both had psychic abilities. Some even say that they were descendants of a woman who was accused of witchcraft during the Salem witch trials, but she was apparently able to escape. However, there isn't a shred of evidence that says this is true, so we'll just chalk this one up to folklore. Their father, Zephaniah, was a holy man who did not approve of this kind of activity in his house. He was abusive towards his wife, Julia, and he would also end up abusing the children. The Eddie family quickly realized that some of their children seemed to have psychic abilities. Their daughter Mary seemed to have them, but most of this psychic power seemed to focus mainly on Horatio and William. Even as a baby, William would often vanish from his crib and reportedly reappear in other rooms around the house. Sometimes, they wouldn't be able to locate him at all, and they would find him out on the lawn or even down the street on some occasions. Strange sounds would be heard in the house, including rapping on the walls, and items would levitate around these two brothers. The two were pulled out of elementary school due to the fact that they couldn't sit in class without making rulers, books, and slates levitate around the room. Zephaniah would abuse both of these boys, trying to beat these psychic powers out of them, but to no avail. The children would enter these trance-like states, where they could not be physically woken up from, during these trances, items would levitate, and apparitions would even be seen and heard around their house in Chittenden, Vermont. Zephaniah, believing that his children were faking these trances, tried to wake them by slapping them, punching them, and in at least one instance, he even poured boiling hot water on them. But still, he could not break the trance. He even let a friend put a hot coal in the palm of William's hand to try to wake him, but he didn't even flinch. Eventually, unable to cure these boys of their psychic abilities, Zephaniah did what any loving parent would do. He sold his children to a traveling circus. This new lifestyle would not be any easier for the boys. They were forced to sleep in wooden crates as they traveled the world showcasing their psychic abilities. They were beaten by staff and audience members who were encouraged to try to wake the Eddie brothers from their trances. People paid a fee to slap punch and poke the brothers to try to test out the authenticity of their abilities. They traveled from America to Canada and around Europe for the next 14 years, traveling with the showmen. The abuse escalated over the years. They had hot wax poured into their mouths to see if they could still produce these spirit voices. They were stoned on several occasions and were even shot at by an angry mob. After the death of their father, they would finally return home. The family turned their farmhouse into an inn called the Green Tavern, and the brothers began holding seances along with their sister Mary. Word quickly began to spread. 
The two had already built some fame over the years traveling with the showmen, and these seances quickly became known around the world. Chittenden, Vermont became known as the spirit capital of the universe. But not everybody believed in the authenticity of these seances. The headlines attracted a man named Henry Alcott, who had read about the Eddie brothers in a New York newspaper. At the time, he worked for the New York Tribune and convinced them to fund his trip to Vermont to investigate these wild tales. Prior to this news, Olcott had basically zero interest in the paranormal. He was a successful lawyer and was appointed as a special investigator in the Civil War, tasked with rooting out corruption and fraud in the military arsenals and shipyards. He was promoted to colonel, and after the war, he was part of a three-person panel that investigated the assassination of President Lincoln. Olcott arrived at the farm and attended an outdoor seance. This took place in the woods. It centered around a small, natural cave. He looked inside and realized that it was, in fact, very small and cramped, and absolutely only had one way in or out. It became very clear that nobody could enter or exit without him noticing. Horatio led the outdoor seance as the medium for the evening. He slightly hid himself behind some blankets, which were hung over some tree branches. After a few moments, the tall figure of a Native American man walked out of the cave. Another emerged on top of the cave, and by the end of the seance, Olcott had counted ten different ghosts before they all vanished at the same time. He was blown away by the spectacle, and immediately investigated the cave at the conclusion of the seance. He searched the cave and the area surrounding the opening, but despite the fact that the ground was damp and muddy, he didn't see a single footprint. He was impressed, but still not convinced. He theorized that the Eddie brothers could have had help producing the seances. Next, he wanted to inspect the circle room where the brothers held their indoor seances. This was a circular room built on the second floor of the inn. Olcott and Caps, who was an artist from the newspaper that he had brought along with him, inspected the room. They took measurements and searched for any possible trap doors. But they found nothing. They even hired carpenters to search the room themselves. But none of the professionals found anything out of the ordinary. The focus was on the cabinet in the seance room where the ghosts would allegedly emerge from. The cabinet was only big enough to fit one person, and it had no trap doors either. It became clear that there was no trickery going on at the house, which made what Wolcott would witness over the next few nights that much more bizarre. Each seance was basically the same. Every night of the week, except for Sunday, guests and visitors would assemble on the wooden benches in the seance room. A platform was lit by a single kerosene lamp set in a barrel. William acted as the primary medium and would enter the cabinet which was positioned on the platform. Within a few moments, whispers would fill the room. Sometimes these voices would sing and occasionally be accompanied by strange spectral music. It was even reported that sometimes musical instruments would levitate and move around the room, playing music above the heads of spectators. Audience members witnessed disembodied hands that would appear, wave, and touch the spectators. Odd lights and unexplained noises filled the room. After this, spirits emerged from the cabinet one by one, sometimes in groups of 20 or up to 30 on some evenings. They ranged in height, age, and weight. Some stood over six feet tall. Many were elderly Yankees or Native Americans. Other ghosts appeared to be in traditional African, Russian, or Asian garb. Olcott had no explanation for where these people were coming from. He continued to examine the cabinet, confirming that there were no trap doors or hidden passages. 
It was impossible that anyone could fit inside this small cabinet along with the medium, never mind 20 or 30 other people. He also had no explanation for how the Eddie brothers could be outfitting all of these people with these costumes. The family did not have the means to afford any of these costumes, let alone pay any of these actors. The apparitions not only appeared, but they communicated with guests. They even sang and performed at times. They would produce musical instruments, clothing, and scarves. There were also objects that would move, spirit paintings, wrappings, automatic writing, speaking in tongues, and even healing going on during these sessions. In the weeks that Alcott attended the seances, he accounted for over 400 different apparitions. He concluded that a show like this would have required an entire company of actors and several trunks of costumes. The idea of stage actors was further dispelled by the convincing manner of these spirits. One woman wanted to contact the spirit of her dead husband. Without pre-warning anyone, she began speaking to the spirit in Russian. Without hesitation, the ghost immediately spoke back to her in fluent Russian. This was especially compelling since the Eddie brothers could barely even speak English themselves, let alone Russian. They were both illiterate, having been sent off to the traveling show instead of going to school. Most of the visitors who came to the show didn't even pay. The Eddie brothers were virtually penniless. If it was all an illusion, how did they compensate these actors and supply them with costumes? Olcott would end up staying at the farm for the next 10 weeks. He left disliking the Inn and the Eddie brothers, but he was convinced that their gifts were genuine. He even wrote a book about his experience titled People from Other Worlds, which detailed the investigation. Eventually, the Eddie brothers gave it up. They couldn't get along with each other and ended up never speaking to each other again. Horatio died in 1922 and William died 10 years later. They took their secrets of the spiritualism to the grave. Olcott was so convinced that the spirit world existed after his experience at this farm that he would end up dedicating his life to studying the occult. He co-founded the Theosophical Society and spent the rest of his years in India and Sri Lanka, spreading the word of the unknown. So let us know what you think. Was this all a hoax? Or were these brothers so gifted that they could actually conjure up 30 to 40 spirits in a single night? Stick around as Rob, Dave, and myself discuss the Eddie brothers and the seances that turned Chittenden, Vermont into the spirit capital of the universe. I'm Jesse Wilkins, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, Dark Mysteries, The Eddie Brothers. everybody welcome in to another episode of hometown ghost stories dark mysteries i'm dave wilkins that was the voice of jesse wilkins talking about the eddie brothers we're also joined by rob coakley what's up rob there's a lot to go over in this side content episode i hope everybody has six hours because i have questions i have some questions too i took some notes what's going on jesse What's up? Yeah, it's a it's a wild story. So this was a time where spiritualism was big. These seances were big and a lot of them were getting debunked. And this is one that was never really debunked. 
and it's one of the most impressive ones. So there's a lot to lot to go over here. So I say we just jump right into it. So you had these guys, they they had a very tragic childhood. They come from like a whole family of psychic mediums or people with psychic abilities. I guess we could start off with this. There's this one story that seems to be passed down where they were related, like distant relatives to one of the accused Salem witches. But this witch had managed to escape Salem. And it leads me to say, I don't think any of the witches that were convicted in Salem were actually witches. That was kind of the whole point, right? Mm -hmm. But apparently this one was a real one or something and she escaped. But there's absolutely not a shred of evidence that... Um, that says that this is true. That's according to, there's one author, I'll, I'll try to figure out who that was, but there was one author who wrote a book on the whole situation, which really dove into the history and the family lineage and all this kind of stuff. And he says, yeah, there's, there's nothing that supports that claim. So it seems like that one was kind of probably just drummed up, or this may have been something that they were told as kids. And maybe they told people like, yeah, what are our descendants was one of the Salem witches or something, but it yeah, doesn't seem like it would be hard to delineate that. And it does sound like one of those things that would be retroactively made up after the fact. Like, like, oh, and we, we could connect him to this Salem witch. And it just seems like one of those things. Or I do also like the theory that maybe it was something that was t told to them as kids. Yeah, because from their mother's side, there was this was in the family. Their grandmother had psychic abilities. Their mother had psychic abilities. Um, three out of the uh, children at least had psychic abilities. I guess Mary, uh, their sister, we didn't talk about her too much in this, but their sister also has psychic abilities, but it wasn't as strong as her brothers with their being able to make things levitate and conjure up ghosts and do all these sorts of next level stuff. It seemed like she was just like a psychic medium. And I do believe that once Horatio and William kind of split up towards the end of the story, one of them teamed up with their sister and they would do seances, but they just weren't as good without, without his brother. So it's, um, it's something that ran in the family and the father just did not approve. So this guy was abusive. He was a, clearly a terrible person. And he was basically like, well, we got to beat it out of him. And he would just abuse these kids. He would abuse his wife. They had a terrible childhood. And when he couldn't figure out, he just up and sold them to a traveling show, which is heartbreaking. That's why I don't have kids. That's what I did. I sold them all to a traveling show. Just got, got rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> this is basically Pinocchio, right? Yeah. Yeah. So was this, was it, I think this was like common practice back in the days of the traveling circus was people that didn't want their kids would just sell them to the circus. Yeah, there was like a loophole where like it, it was not illegal to just up and sell your kids to the circus. So, hey, circus needed talent, you know, and apparently these kids had it, but life did not get any better for them when they went to this traveling show. I read a few accounts that they were forced to sleep in boxes. I read other accounts that said that uh, they may not have been forced to sleep in boxes, but they were used they use these boxes as like part of the show where they'd basically be like, let's see them try to escape from this box. And they would seal it with like hot wax or whatever. And they would see if they could break out of the box. Maybe they weren't able to, which is why they stopped doing it. Or maybe they were able to, I don't know. They, they did have, according to all of the reports on these guys, they, they had these sorts of abilities all along and we'll get into whether or not we think they were real later on, but at least as, as a child, I mean, they could do enough as kids where they were able to fool people. And these were not educated children. I mean, they, they couldn't even last in school because they would go to school and all of a sudden things would be levitating and flying across the classroom. So they got kicked out of school or their father pulled them from school because everyone's like, these kids are witches or whatever and uh, sold them to the circus. So, yeah, I mean, I think that the fact that they're illiterate doesn't 
real. I mean, it shows that they were not educated, but there's a difference between being educated and being intelligent. You can have a really high IQ and just never have gone to school. So you would be uneducated, but still really intelligent. So I don't think that these guys were imbeciles. They're probably super talented. They were probably high IQ. They probably just didn't do a lot of schooling because they got sold to the circus. That's the so, nice thought, but the but the reports from people that met them was like they were insufferably stupid, and like like they were just they were jerks. You couldn't understand what they were saying. They said that they had that deep New England accent. Now I don't know if that's a Boston accent or if that's like the guy <laughs> from Pet Cemetery accent. But none of that says dumb to me. A jerk, okay. Uh, you you can't understand what they're saying because of their accent, okay. That doesn't mean you can't be intelligent, right? No, I I, I agree with you. I'm just saying like like, well well yeah. They the report said that they were like very unlikable and that they, they couldn't read or write and they were hard to understand. So yeah, maybe uneducated. They, maybe there were. I mean, dude, the the, the big possibility here, the, addressing the elephant in the room, is is maybe they couldn't read or write, but if they were faking this, they were smart enough to bamboozle the world. Because this yeah. wasn't just around Vermont. This just wasn't just around Chittenden. This made national headlines. You know, the, the reporters came from New York, but people apparently came from all over the world to see these seances when they got back home, basically. So they were fooling the world and it never got debunked. They brought in professionals when when the reporters came and they brought in carpenters, engineers, and all these people to to investigate these room, the this the seance room. And they couldn't find anything. How were they doing this without trap doors? Or how were they smart enough to fool everyone? And where well, did they come up with the money to pay these actors if they were actors? It doesn't make any sense at all. So Chung Li Su, Chung Ling Su, was the famous magician, I believe, around the time of Houdini, maybe a little before Houdini, right? And he, I believe, retro. Because what, what? When did this take place? The Eddie Brothers were when? Uh, like 1870s, I think. I don't know. Yeah. Name, so, so after the fact, Chung Ling Su, who was the guy who actually got killed doing a magic trick where he'd catch the bullet. Apparently, he mm-hmm. caught it too good. But he allegedly exposed the seance trick, and he said the trick involved a curtain that was put across the room with musical instruments placed on the table inside the curtain space. Two members of the audience would be selected and enter the curtain. Horatio would grasp the audience sitter's left arm and the other sitter would grasp his right arm. To the audience outside the curtain, various musical instruments would be seen floating in the air above the top of the curtain and tapping the trio on the head. A hand would also come through the curtain and write a message on the slate held by William, who was sitting outside the curtain. The trick was performed by Horatio, evading control and releasing his hand. He would do this by various methods, such as using a fake hand made from a piece of heavy heavy sheet lead, which he would place in his left hand and grasp the audience sitter's arm. So he yes. would have all sorts of... So I, I heard about this one, yeah. So that, that debunks like the floating instrument thing, which sounded really quirky anyway. It sounds like something you'd seen in a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. This does not even come close to debunking where all these people came from and the whole... They, th- there was a tiny cabinet that could barely fit one person. And you're talking about 20 to 30 people walking out of this thing. And the, the, the most striking thing with this, because it could be a trap door that they didn't figure out, right? It's got to be if it's mm-hmm. fake. 
what they can't explain is why were some of them translucent? Why was that? Now, it could be a lighting trick. The most compelling piece of evidence with this entire case to me is the fact that without any kind of warning, these actors would speak all sorts of languages, including dead languages and speaking in tongues. They would communicate with people would, would communicate with loved ones in the audience and they would know details and they would speak in, you know, like we talked about, I mentioned the story about the, the Russian woman who just out of nowhere just started speaking Russian to her dead husband and the dead husband, ghost, spirit or actor just started speaking Russian just back to her. Now there's two possibilities if it's fake. Number one would be, wow, we got lucky and I happened to speak Russian or two would be she was a plant in the audience and that was used to authenticate it. But again, it's like, where are they finding these actors? How are they affording these actors? And even if they get an actor to come in and volunteer, like, oh yeah, I'd like to be part of your ruse. How are they affording the costumes? Maybe the actors are buying them. I don't know. My gut tells me that this was just a really good illusion and this was fake, right? These guys were seasoned circus people. They know the circus crowd. They know performers. Mm -hmm. They know actors. They know people with crazy costumes that do things like this. They were in that crowd. It's not out of the realm of possibility that they said to one of their buddies and said, hey, do you have anyone in your network that would want to help us out with this side gig that we got or this thing that we're doing? And I think that that's highly possible. I think it's even highly it's likely. A, but is it a side gig that could that could provide like 400 costumes. So we're talking about Olcott was there for like 10 weeks and he just stayed there and studied everything, just trying to debunk this. He has so many detailed notes in his book and pictures and everything. Cause he also brought an artist with him who would draw the pictures of this stuff. And he was, he didn't recognize a repeat actor once it was, he said it was over 400, over 400 people over the 10 weeks were with 400 different costumes, different languages. It, you would need an entire like production crew and cast at the ready and just tons and tons of costume changes. You're talking about probably thousands of dollars at the time. These guys didn't have two pennies to rub together. They were broke. Their house was a mess. They said it was like a, it was a miserable time staying at this place. It was gross. And these, these guys just, maybe this was all part of the act. Maybe they did have money. Maybe they made money on their, in their circus, but I doubt it. And this is one of the most baffling parts of the story to me. Cause it's like, how, did they put on this production? Yeah. I mean, obviously there's, uh, we can't answer all the questions. Of course it is a, it is a, a pretty big mystery and maybe they were, I don't even know if I can bring myself to say it. Maybe they were legitimate, but I mean, do you believe that? Cause I mean, cause they were more than just psychic mediums. It's not like they're Maureen Hancock up there just communicating with, with people's dead uh, relatives, right? They were doing, basically magic tricks mm -hmm. or if it's, it's it's not just a regular I psychic medium i think it all right if any of this is real i know that at least some of it was fake and you had the you had them basically being caught with the whole fake hand thing there were apparently quite a few things that they did that were just straight up like illusions yeah, and sl sleight of hand right so they, they were i think they were mixing in a little bit of both which leads me to believe that the whole thing's fake it's just i don't think they figured it out my gut tells me this was fake and it tells me that they were just putting on a show. This was happening all over the country at the time, probably all over the world where these illusions were doing it. I think they were just probably the best at it. And one of the main pieces of evidence that leads me to believe that this was faked was after the fact when the brothers split up and they stopped doing it, 
one of them went on to just start doing magic shows and like and was just a magician after so it's like okay so you were a magician this whole time you were just really good at it and you were fooling people so he was doing like um there he was an illusionist or whatever so so you you take a look at like penn and teller right now and what they do they go around and in addition to their magic shows they do i don't know what it is first of all with magicians and their undying hatred for psychic mediums but it's always magicians trying to bunk to debunk psychic mediums have you noticed that you got oh yeah from chris angel Houdini, chris angel penn and teller chung ling su it's just they're all they have this vendetta and maybe it's because like these psychic mediums are doing the same thing we do except they're lying to you i think that's the mentality that's mm -hmm. their position but so what penn and teller do is they can take any um uh, basically like neo psychic medium, anyone who's like new at it in, in the past 50 years, and they can look at footage from their acts and they can say, here's how he does this. Here's how they do that. This is debunked. This person's not real. You can't get that with these guys because there's no video to analyze. And if there, um, there just isn't any, right? I mean, maybe they, so there's no way to, all they have to go by is like this witness testimony that was recorded and then telephoned over the course of a century so there's no way to debunk it right so, so it'll, maybe it'll, that yeah it'll remain a mystery my gut tells me it's fake and i think they were just really good at it i just the mystery to me is how did they do this at such a large scale that's right. what's so confusing to me or maybe it was just real but i think there, that maybe it's undeniable that certain elements were faked and these guys were also on paper magicians and illusionists afterwards at least one of them was so how what are the odds that this was a smaller scale thing and then the newspapers start reporting it in the way that oh. newspapers report things and it gets bigger and then you know new york times gets a hold of it and it gets even bigger and then another big newspaper gets a hold of it and it gets even bigger and maybe it just snowballs maybe it wasn't 400 people maybe it was 30 people and by the time it got to you know well this, over this the was course what, of 100 yeah, this was what he wrote down in his book so this this was his initial reporting so this is recorded at the time but I, I understand how the snowball effect works, and I can understand why it blew up was because of the press coverage, of course, right? And but you got to think with with more and more witnesses showing up, and more and more people showing up to see the show, there's got to be more critics and more reporters that are there looking to debunk it, and nobody did. So it's it's wild to me. It's a crazy story. Well, why did they stop? What was the reason behind them stopping doing the act, and then kind of they absolutely up? hated each other. They couldn't get along. It was it was it was reported on that this guy's reports too was like these guys hate each other but they're just doing it anyways, and uh, I mean when when you suffer a childhood like that you can understand why they might not be very agreeable people going forward. So, yeah. but it yeah. seems like yeah they they just they couldn't stand each other anymore and they split up and then um, I think it was Horatio and Mary like they went on to to continue or the, I think it was the younger one they were uh, there was a difference in age there was like actually about a ten year age gap between the two of them, but they would still they still both had these psychic powers at a very young age. Mm, interesting you also can't really debunk psychic powers right you can say i don't believe you or you can tell a psychic you got this wrong about me but you can't there's no there's no way that you can it's, it's like the debate about god right you can't say there's no god and I, you can't say there is there's no definite yes or no you can't disprove or prove either one and it's the same thing as for the paranormal you can't definitively prove that paranormal things exist. Otherwise it would just be a fact and you can't disprove it. So, mm -hmm. and this falls under that category. You can only disprove, you can disprove like tricks, 
you could find like, oh, this trick was done this way. That's debunked. But you'll never be able to debunk somebody claiming they can, can communicate with the dead. It's tricky. And I do believe there are real psychics out there. I've, you know, we've, we've done enough of these shows where we cover things where it's like, well, how the hell would they have figured that out? So I think that there is a way to tap into these things. I don't think any one of us possess that ability, but I still respect the ones that could do it correctly. But I see through a lot of the bullshit a lot of times. And yeah, if we're going on just off my gut, then I would say that this was, this was just, a, they were really good at what they were doing, but it seems like it was a show. Yeah, well, with everything else that you say was debunked and found out and then the stuff afterwards, most likely it's not real. You're not going to you're not going to implement one real thing and then build everything around it, because if you were doing something real, you would build your entire show around that one real thing. Right. Like, that's what I would do. And right. You would just you would find let's, a way to make that the entire show. Let's go on the idea that it is real and let's just let's just entertain this idea for a moment. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was these spirits that were showing up and communicating with people was real. And maybe that like, like we said, like, like experts went into that room. Like we're talking about construction workers, people that do this for a living and they're, they're inspecting the floors. They're inspecting the blueprints. They said there was absolutely nothing out of the ordinary with this house. So how the hell were they getting all these people to appear? Right. Let's entertain the idea that they could conjure up ghosts. And that was kind of the final act of every show. And it seemed like every single night, because they did this night, they did this show six nights a week. They would take Sundays off. Six nights a week, they would do this. It seems like maybe all of the opening acts was just kind of bullshit to warm these people up. And then boom, they hit them with the, the main event at the end of the night. And that is like the real deal. Here comes the ghosts. So again, but, I'm just living in fantasy land here. My gut tells me the whole thing was fake. But I, I guess like my problem would always be why implement that reason of doubt and i just don't understand the people that do that we talked about this with the with people that make up stories about places that are actually haunted i don't understand why you would implement extra doubt into something like that so why you would do that particular thing and i'm not a, fighting with you on this i'm just no you're right no you're right like out. why why bother well i think yeah. i think the thing is like this is part of it's all part of the show so they were also illusionists. Like, hey, we can also do magic tricks. Let's just start off the show with some cool magic tricks. Then we'll hit them with the ghosts. So I think the fact that there were 400 of them makes it less believable. It's more it believable that, that they could come up with 400 strangers to, to how many ghost investigations have we been on? Never mind what all the paranormal investigators have been on ever. And the most compelling evidence that really exists are pretty much photographs, right? Photographs mm -hmm. of like, that looks like it could be a person. The mm -hmm. one we just talked about on Tuesday with the Myrtle Plantation, that photograph, that looks like it could be a person. You're telling me that these guys every night would just these get guys. 400 ghosts to just walk out of this house, just yeah, full it's, body it's, apparitions to just walk. No, that's fucking It's so nonsense. hard to believe. Yeah, it's, it's so nonsense. hard to believe. Course, You're right. You of are course right. it's a magic trick. If you told me it was... If it was a million people, it's it's even less believable that it was ghosts. It's more believable that they they scrounged together a million people and had them walk through here. Then it was it's the, the more apparitions you're talking is the less likely that this is a real ghost story. Mm -hmm. If you said it was one person that walked out, I'd be like, oh, maybe that's a ghost. Maybe. 
maybe I don't know one? how these things work, but uh, yeah, no, I, don't it, know it, if I, I don't know if I'm tracking this, Dave. Like, you're like, yeah, they crammed a million people in the house. There's no way it could just. Well, no, I understand because of <laughs> the scale, it makes it harder to harder to believe that it, it is authentic. Now, again, well, it wasn't understand just verbally. <laughs> just just to backtrack, it wasn't 400 in one night. It was 400 over the um, the 10 weeks that he was there. It was still a staggering amount of ghosts, but he said there was, you know, at the most that he saw in one night was 30, which is so many people to shuffle through your trap door or whatever and like you know where these people go where were they before the show it's you know in it, it, it i go back to the professionals that inspected the building there was no hidden rooms where all 30 actors could be hiding before the show i just don't know i just don't know i don't know how they did it it's amazing that these guys who allegedly were not educated people could could fool the world and fool the professionals for as long as they did it for and it, it, it's, it's impressive it's impressive it would be it would be more it would be more hard to believe is that what i'm trying to say it'd be more hard to believe if they were uneducated and not circus performers like it's literally their job yeah. to do circus tricks yeah yeah no i agree and in again i'm just playing devil's advocate here for most of the show but you know the the biggest striking piece of evidence was afterwards where he's like well now i'll just do magic tricks it's like well now I think you were doing that the whole time. <laughs> Anyways, so that's pretty much that for this one. Let us know what you think in the comments. Were these guys, the Eddie brothers, were they legit? Were they actually conjuring up ghosts? Is it too much to believe? It's If the stories of their childhood is are true, then that's a whole different element. I mean, like with these kids going to school and basically getting kicked out for making things levitate. Who witnessed it? Is it all legend? There is, you know, there is a book written about it. There's documented proof on this. So it's a wild story, dude. It is a crazy one. I've been looking to cover this one for a while. And um, yeah, most yeah, of the, uh, yeah. This is the most ghosts we've ever covered in one episode and also the least. <laughs> could, could go either way, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, what do we have coming up on Tuesday? We have an episode coming up on Tuesday. Where are we going to be? No, nobody knows right now. Maybe ah, shit, is those... it my episode again? Is that a? Is this how no, you're telling me? No, oh, okay. it's me. It's me. All right. <laughs> it's me. Well, good luck with that. Who <laughs> let's knows? Thank our, let's thank our patrons real quick for our VIPs. We have Allison V, Jeannie R, Lisa J, Mallory K, Mike Ubliet, Blake, Ubliet. Mom and Pops W, Peach Smoothie, Robert H, and Inspires Gaming. Thank you so much for being VIPs. You keep the ship afloat. Uh, we have 32 DRC, Adam S, Amby Rose, Anna C, Chris C, Cody G, Donnie N, Elizabeth Young, Lily, Jake V, Janice G, Mar Fire, Matthew T, Papa Squatch, Rachel B, Sarah Cook, Steph A of the Church of the Stephanie, Stitch Kitten, Sydney B, the other Rachel B, Al Capone, Al Capone's poorly taxidermied corn dinosaur, Alicia Espinoza, Anthony C, oh, I'm sorry, it's not Anthony C, it's Anthony Character Limits Be Damned T. <laughs> Ashley M, Brandon W, Brennan B, Captain McSlugs, Kath Q, Hoska, Castle, Huggy Bear, Joe R, Kara Lee, J, Mark M, Mariah M, Nuthouse Queen, Paul from St. Louis, Sam from Nepal, Scotty L, Solar Flare, Sarah R, if I didn't just say that. Uh, we also have Soph M, Hooper, and Swanee. Thank you so much. $3 a month. Get your name on this long list. That's longer than the actual episode itself now. And we do appreciate that. Early access, bonus content, all sorts of fun stuff. You've heard us say it before. We'll say it again. But next time, with your name on it. That's how we sell it right there. Uh, $1 a month gets you a member on YouTube. You unlock all of the fancy emotes as well as a membership badge, which changes color with the more months that you've been subscribed. So talk about that. You got any dark mysteries you want us to talk about? Leave it in the comments below. Make sure you like and subscribe. I think that will pretty much do it, gentlemen. Eh? I think so. 
Cool. All right. We will catch you on Tuesday for another live episode of Hometown Ghost Stories. See ya. Peace. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.